Welcome to the Loft Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message and that it ignites in you a hunger for more of God's presence in your life. I have a plan. I mean, I had, you know, but I don't know, man. God's changing it up. So, all right, we're still passing the offering. They're getting that together. I want you guys to, maybe we could all just stand up for a minute if, you, if you're able because I want us to just take a minute and we've entered his courts with thanksgiving, haven't we? Wasn't that an awesome time of worship and just entering in? I had a really sweet time with the Lord and I was able to intercede for my son. You know, how many of us have someone in our life that God wants back? How many of us, raise your hand if there's someone in your life that God wants back and he's not giving up, so we're not supposed to give up. So everyone's hand went up, so I want us in our rows. What we're going to do is if there's more than three of you, just turn and split off and we're going to pray with each other. So in the row that you're in, just turn and face the people that are in that row, even if you don't know them, or if you do, or if you want to go into groups of four, Now, listen, what you're going to do is identify that person that God wants, okay? And you're going to do it pretty quick, not too much visiting. And what we're going to do is we're going to pray together and believe God for those people that he wants back today. So just go ahead and get started. Just say the name of the person to the person you're praying with, and then let's just pray that Holy Spirit gets them today. So let's go. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, that you can change the hearts. Go after their hearts, Father. Go after the hearts. Father God, I pray those chains would be broken, that the enemies bound them in, and that they would be free to come home, God. We call them home, God. We call them home. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your blood, Father. Thank you that you paid the price. We call them home in Jesus' name. All the sons and daughters gathered together in Jesus' name. Call them home. We call them home. Into their right minds, God. into the beauty of the kingdom. 
you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you hear our cries. You hear our pleas. You're pleased with us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, if you have some more names, let's start wrapping it up about 60 seconds. Amen, amen. Thank you, Jesus. All right, how many of you know that, that God heard your prayer? And not only did he hear it, he's answered it. And that's the faith we're standing in, is that every single person that we called home today will come home. We declare it, and we rise up into it. We say it out loud. So... <clears throat> been wrestling with the message all week and the message is the topic of my message today is called separation and I want to break down what that looks like for us as Christians what what are we separating from well there's two pathways to knowledge for our soul there's two laws speaking to mankind and there's two bodies the body of Christ and the body of sin. And I want to kind of lead you into some understanding on those topics, maybe. Because <laughs> God's got something else going on. Okay. I think someone thought I was giving my testimony today, but I might be given part of it. So just hang in there. It's going to be fun. All right? I mean... Woo! If nothing else, we're in the air conditioning, right? Okay, so check this out. This is going to blow your mind. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Is that the end of the verse? If you have an NIV, it is. If you look in your NIV Bible, that's where that verse ends. And that's Romans 8, right after Romans 7. You know what happened, what he talks about in Romans 7, Paul? He talks about not being able to overcome the sin within, even after he's an apostle. 20 years after he's an apostle, he's still struggling. 
He's still being changed glory to glory day by day. Paul, 20 years in, he's saying, oh, wretched man that I am, you know, this body of sin rises up in me, and I don't want to obey it, but I do. And because I do, I agree that it's good, that the law of sin is good. Well, <laughs> you go all the way through, and it's at the end of that chapter 7, he says, who will save me? Oh, Christ has saved me. And then you go to chapter 8, and it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. This has been a verse that I memorized years and years and years ago and clung to as a young man. I gave my heart to Jesus when I was eight. At nine years old, my mom got a letter from my school saying, Your son has been caught smoking marijuana on school grounds. Third grade. So I gave my heart to Jesus at eight. At nine, you know, I'm going to the principal's office because I'm smoking pot on school grounds. Well, did I give my heart to Jesus at eight? Yes, I gave him my whole heart. I was riding in the car with Dale Galloway, me and him and his old Oldsmobile. It was black, and we're riding along and chatting. We're going from one place to another, and him and my dad were really good friends. And he's, he, if you don't know who he was, he was a pastor of New Hope. And he's asking me, you know, we're chit-chatting. Windows are down. It's summer. It's a beautiful day. Eight years old, you know, riding along. I think we might have just got out of the store. He got me a pop or ice cream or something. And we're just chatting. He's like, Tim, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm like, I want to be a fireman or a policeman. Or maybe I want to be a preacher. And he's like, oh, okay, that's good, that's good. And we talked a little more, and he must have felt the unction of the Holy Spirit. And he said, well, you know, have you ever asked Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior of your life? And I'm like, no. And he led me through understanding what that meant and asking Jesus in my heart. And he said, now you're a brand new creation. And I'm like, yay, woo, whippy, you know, yay. That was good. So then at nine, I'm smoking pot, you know, and it just escalates. My life goes way, way to the left, way off, way off course. But I'm in a house where we go to church every Sunday, you know, and, uh, and I believe in Jesus. And I worship. You know, even on my own as a young kid, Maranatha praise, remember, oh, Lord, you know, just, it was, I was so into that stuff as a, even a teenager. You know, I'd be listening to ACDC and Van Halen and getting loaded all week. And once in a while, I'd get clean for a while. And this verse was always around in my life. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I'd go up to that altar every week when I'm 12, 13, 14 and cry about the sins I'd committed and repent and there's no condemnation. I'm not, I'm in Christ Jesus. I'm free. I'm, I'm brand new. You know, I'd tell the devil all these things and then I'd go live in sin all week. You know, not wanting to really, because it wasn't fulfilling. 
It wasn't what my heart desired, but my flesh did. So this verse, if you look in the King James Version, says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. What? You mean I got to do something? Oh, man. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, the flesh he's talking about there, it's not this. It's my soul, man. It's, it's my mind and my will and my emotions. And the Bible says that I'm to crucify my flesh. That doesn't mean that I'm going to kill my body, right? Because we'd only do that one time, and it'd be done. Crucify the flesh, you'd be done, right? It's talking about crucifying the, the no good that lives inside of me, that fleshly part of me, that soul man. So anyway, I guess a little bit more about my testimony. 15 years old, I got my first girlfriend. I guess that's kind of young, isn't it, actually? And she was 17. You know, so. But, uh, wow, really, Lord? Hmm. All right. It's not what I planned. I planned this. Okay, so, yeah, she was 17. I was 15. And... I was a crazy kid, man. I mean, I guess I could give you just a couple real quick stories. 15 years old, my dad went out of town for the weekend. I worked for him. I dropped out of high school as a freshman, started working full time because I hated school. I thought I did. Later on, I found out I loved it, really. And maybe I'll get around to tell you that part, but I thought, I told, you know, I hated it. it. I was listening to the enemy, whatever. Quit school, started working full-time, partying full-time. I mean, I was making 15, 18 bucks an hour, 15 years old. You know, and my dad was number one enabler. Sometimes I would get my whole check before I was supposed to in draws, and then he'd give me the rest of my check. And, you know, I think he did that to kind of make himself feel better in some ways. He tried to uh, rope me in to his life because he was doing a lot of things that were very destructive that, that we didn't know about. So 15 years old, dad left for the weekend. I went to the office, got in, got a key for the truck, and took the truck all weekend. You know, I'm 15, I, I got my permit, right? And my uncle and some of his friends and me, we bought a bunch of weed and booze and all this stuff and drive over the mountain and go to Canada and all, just crazy weekend, right? And then I'm driving home to get the truck home before dad gets home. And I go to show off for a friend and do a couple cookies in this parking lot, look over, there's a cop. Ah! And I panicked and tried to 
outrun this cop, and he'd chase me all over Portland, like 39th, Belmont, down, ran red lights. And I'm down by the Avalon Theater, car pulls out, swerved the wheel and smashed into a parked Volkswagen van. It hit a bunch of other cars, went up through the Avalon Theater doors, and the movie was just getting out. But no one got injured except me, a concussion. I wouldn't go to the, wouldn't go to the, they had an ambulance. They found two joints in my pocket, and there was booze in the car and all this crazy stuff. And dad took care of it all. He came and got me out of jail. And before I even knew he was there, I heard him yelling at the cops, you stupid idiots. My son, he's injured. Why didn't you take him to the hospital? And he's just reaming these cops out. And, you know, he gets me in the car and takes me home. By the time we get home, we have a plan of how I'm going to get sober and stay that way. Me and my dad made these plans 10, 20, 30 times. Yellow notepad, we'd write them out, make a plan, try for a while, fail. Be up at the altar crying again. God, save me. I'm sorry. And I was. I repent. I did. And then I'd walk away. But then I would hear the voice that I'd been trained under all my life. And that's the voice of Satan's kingdom. He would come to me. And I would think it was my own thoughts. I didn't know how to distinguish between my thoughts and his. Like when I would tell myself, you stupid son of a boop, or you, you know, just horrible things just out of nowhere. I thought that was me. Or when I'd think something bad about someone for no reason, it would just come and I would, that's the enemy speaking to my spirit because he can speak to us spirit to spirit. We have a thing called theta brainwaves and we are spirit first. We are spirit first. We are spirit. We were with God before we were here, right? You guys have heard me say it. It blows my mind. Where were we? We were in his mind, his heart. He made us. He made us in his image. So we're a spirit man. So the enemy would speak to my spirit. I would think it was me, and I would act on all these crazy things. But the problem was, for the enemy, I gave my heart to God when I was eight. So the Holy Spirit's speaking to me all the time, too. You want to talk about living in misery? Be a sinning saint. I mean, just keep sinning. Your life's miserable. You guys know. We've all done it. Rise up in hatred. Someone does something to you. They do it to you. You think it's them doing it to you. It's really the enemy functioning through them and making you respond in that camp of the enemy. It's crazy how he works. He's cunning and genius and very patient and evil, and sick, and I hate him. And, it, and you know what? That's all right. God hates him too. God hates sin. So we can hate sin. A lot of times in my life, I've looked at people that have done something wrong to me, and I've hated that person, and God says, that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to hate the sin that they've been trained under. We're supposed to hate the sin that is controlling them, not them. And once we begin to understand that it's actually sin, the same sin that we've fallen under, 
then we're free to release them and give them forgiveness and love them and not react. Where was I? Anyone know? <laughs> so, okay, I was 15. First spirit. I know, I'm all over. So, I want to talk about Yeah, I got super addicted to all kind of drugs. Cocaine was the big one. So by the time I was, I'm just going to fast forward. Early 20s, I'd been through six, six treatment centers successfully that I put myself through starting about 17, 18 years old. Oh, yeah, I was in my first treatment center at 17, and I'd been dating... This girl, Linda Doney, since I was 15. And I made it clear to her at the beginning that, you know, I was saving myself for the woman I was going to marry. So we never actually had intercourse in our relationship, but we had plenty of other stuff going on. And, you know, as kids will do, I guess. So at 17... I'm in treatment. I'm thinking we're getting married. I'm going to marry this girl. You know, I'm madly in love. I'm in treatment. I'm getting myself together. You know, I'm going after God. She comes to visit. We visit. She's leaving. We're going down the elevator. She tells me, bye-bye. I'm leaving you. And my heart was, I mean, do you guys remember that first love and them leaving? I almost passed out. I mean, like, things got black, and I was like, oh, no. I couldn't believe it. It was horrible. And I found out that, like, I was really kind of getting clean for her more than God. And so when I got out, I used again. And, and I kept using on and off, on and off. I lived with different people trying to get sober. I lived with a pastor and his wife from New Hope and stayed sober for a while there, and, but that didn't work. So it was just a struggle. It was a constant struggle. Well, finally, early 20s, I start robbing banks to support my cocaine addiction. I'm at the end. I can't work. I can't do anything. I can't. All I can think about is more drugs. Trying to, trying to stop the pain, you know? Trying to stop the misery I'm in. Isn't that crazy? Looking from the outside, we can see things so clear, but when you're in it, when you're in the middle, you're like, you think that this is going to work somehow? So, uh, I robbed a bunch of stores, robbed a bunch of banks, and it got crazy. And after about four months, late one night, there's a knock on my door. My roommate peeks out. It's the cops. I'm like, shut off the lights. <laughs> and so he shuts off the lights, and we're in there. And I'm sitting there doing drugs while the cops are surrounding my house, you know. And, like, just I'm at the end. 
So they knock, knock. Finally, they get my dad over there. Finally, after like 45 minutes or an hour, I tell my roommate, let him in. They come in. They arrest me. And actually, I was walking out to the cop car. They had me handcuffed. I'd never been in a cop car. And I look up, and they're walking me out, and there's my dad. And my head just went down to the ground with about a million pounds of shame. Just, ugh. And they put me in the back of that cop car, and I just started bawling. I was relieved. I was afraid I was going to hurt someone or kill someone. A few days earlier, I told God, whatever it takes, God, because I was, I, you know, I love God in the midst of all this craziness. I was still going to church. I went to church the Sunday before I got arrested because I was searching, man. I didn't want to die like this. I wanted to change, but I couldn't change. It wasn't happening. So I'm in the back of the car. I'm crying. They take me to jail. It's an old jail downtown in the old courthouse, like almost like a Western kind of jail. Like the whole row was about this wide with the cell blocks and the big thing that cranked and all the doors. And there's like 20 cells. And, you know, here I am. I've been doing like a lot of cocaine and booze and and pot and cigarettes every day, like all I could do, all I could do. And now all of a sudden I'm in jail with nothing except me. And it's a desperate situation, very desperate. I got my next bank planned and I'm getting out on like Friday and it's like Wednesday. And they don't know about the banks yet. But I'm talking on the phone with my ex-wife, and I tell her a little too much because they're listening probably. That night, they put someone in my cell, and he starts telling me about all these banks he robbed, and he, he's going to Mexico when he, leave, when he gets out, and he's getting out the same day I am. And I'm like, oh, yeah, really? I robbed the bank, too, and told him a little bit, and then, oh, whoops, too late. Friday, I'm supposed to get out. I'm excited because I'm going to rob the bank already and get some more drugs. And uh, they don't let me out. And I'm like, what's going on? And the guy tells me, there's a U.S. Marshal hold on you. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, you're not going anywhere. I'm like, oh, no. So three years later, I went somewhere. But I stayed in jail for 11 months downtown in Portland. It was horrific because a lot of reasons my hair was falling out I was gray I was it was yucky then I went to Sheridan out there toward the coast stayed there for a couple more years well after I found out I wasn't getting out the size of the depression I was under was a mountain on top of a mountain on top of a mountain, and I was done. I was done. I'd made the decision, done. I'm, I've tried six treatment centers successfully. I prayed to God and repented. I am done. So I had a shoelace, I had a bag, I had a couple extra pillows, and I had the plan to tie the bag over my head and put the pillows and just go to sleep. 
that night and not wake up because I was done. That was the solution that I had come to finally at that point. So it's night. The lights go out and I'm getting ready. I actually had the bag, put it on my head, getting ready to tie it. This little voice inside, still small voice. says to me, is this the legacy you want to leave your daughter? And I'm irritated at that voice. No, God, of course not. Are you kidding me? F you. That's how I talked to God then. And he didn't mind. He said, I already know what you're thinking. Tell me about it. So I started telling him, and I was pissed. And I told him, I mean, some bad stuff. He could go, blah, 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 and why'd you create me? You made me. You're the one that made me. I didn't ask for this. I've tried. I've called to you. I've done everything I possibly can. What can I do? No, I don't want to leave her this legacy. Are you sick, God? No, I don't. But I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I've done everything. I've read the Bible. I've memorized verses. They're in my heart. So... We went back and forth a little bit, and it wasn't easy to convince me. Finally, and you know what's super cool? Is God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He never gives up on us. He didn't have to say, is this a legacy you want to leave your daughter? But he did because he loves me and he knew what would connect me back to him and that's the kingdom of heaven that's God speaking to you that's beginning to respond to his voice and beginning to be trained under something different so he said to me I said what am I going to do he said he said this to me I mean not out loud but he talks to me and I hear him in my heart my mind from my spirit, through my theta. And he said, I want you to read your Bible five minutes a day. Read five minutes, or read your Bible five minutes a day. Pray five minutes a day. And write five minutes a day. That's what I want you to do. And I want you to do it for a year. And I thought, well, that's not too hard. I'm going to have some time on my hands. <laughs> and... Uh, I said, all right, God, all right, you got a deal. But this doesn't work. You're going to be sad that you ever made me because I'm going to do some damage. I'm going to be evil of all evil. I'm going to be a bad, bad person. 
if this doesn't work, and you know that. So I made the deal with him. It was like a covenant. I mean, there was blood involved. You know, the blood of Christ, <laughs> really. And so I started reading the very next day, maybe that night, I don't remember. And praying and writing. And five minutes turned into 10 and 10 to 20. And some days it was an hour or two of studying the word of God from the beginning. Genesis, the first five books, all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament. Over the next year and a half, I read about who Jesus was. See, I'd heard about him. I'd come to church and heard about it. And I'd memorized a few scriptures. And, but I had never explored who Jesus was to me. Like, I didn't know him personally. And he did, God did not know me because I had never let him in. And he's got to come in to know us. He wants us to have fellowship with him. So I started reading, started writing, started praying. And, you know, I didn't get a big flash of light. I didn't get a sudden, woo, yeah, I'm changed, hallelujah. I didn't get any of that. I got nothing, really, for about a month. But I said I would do it, so I kept doing it. And then, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Then, one day, I'm super depressed. I'm in MCDC. That's Multnomah County Detention Center downtown. Up on the sixth, seventh floor, whatever. I remember standing there and looking at the pigeons on the little ledge right outside the corner window thinking, man, if I could just be that pigeon for five seconds, fly out of here. Man, it sucks in there. So I'm in there. And it's a particularly bad day for some reason. But I'm voracious, man. I'm, I'm, I'm reading everything I can. I'm reading all these books about guys who have overcome. Overcome their, you know, addictions. Overcome Satanism. Over, overcome how they've overcome by the power of God. I'm, I can't read enough of them. There's a chaplain that comes in every week. I spend time with him. He prays with me. He brings me books. He's an angel in my life at that time. And so I'm in my cell, sitting on the toilet. They got this little toilet sink combo that's metal. You ever seen them? In the movie, probably. Don't go see them personally. It's not, it's not worth it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I'm in there doing what you do on a toilet, you know, when you're sitting. It rhymes with sitting. <laughs> Sorry, I, I get carried away, I guess, sometimes. Uh, so anyway, and it stinks in my cell. And it's a gray, rainy Oregon day. And I'm looking at the rain running down the window. And the gray outside. And how I feel. And the stink. And a thought goes through my mind, I feel just like it smells in here. <sighs> and then all of a sudden, 
all of a sudden, something happens, and like the mood shifts in my cell. And all of a sudden, I start becoming thankful, like in my heart. And I start thanking God for different things in my life. And, and scriptures start coming to my mind. And, and all of a sudden, I hear Jesus, and I know he's in my cell. And he's saying, I love you. I love you, Tim. And I'm like, what? I hear him saying, I love you, Tim. I love you. You're amazing. You're doing great work, Tim. Keep going. And I'm laughing on this toilet in the stink, like voraciously laughing. And like, so tears are almost coming out of my eyes. And all of a sudden, I kind of wake up and it's like 20, 30, 40 minutes have passed. I don't know for sure, but quite some time. And I realize Jesus is in the cell with me and I'm naked on the toilet. And I tell him, God, you can't be in here with me. And he said, Tim, I love you just the way you are right now, naked and stinking. I love you. I'm like, whoa, Jesus. Thank you. so. Wow. So that's me hearing the spirit of God, the son of God in my spirit and actually through my brain connecting and my body having a reaction to him and his kingdom. So another time, whoa, all right, mom comes to visit. She's faithful. She's the most faithful. She came all the time to visit. Downtown, Sheridan, she was very faithful. So she comes to visit one day. And I got to tell you, even up to this point, heavy narcissism. I mean, I wasn't a full narcissist, I don't think. I don't know. Probably not. Or I'd still be. I don't know. But I couldn't think about other people. I mean, I, I, it was all about me all the time. Even if I was, I mean, I was loving and caring and giving and respectful and all those things to people. But it was still about me somehow. And there's always some manipulation or some weird crap going on in my life and my mind and even up to this point. So mom comes, visits, we talk, you know, and I hear what she says maybe. And I say stuff to her, which is the most important thing, what I have to say at that point. And I'm still, you know, it's another gray day. It's not great. She leaves. And I just happen to be on one of the sides. They take me back to my cell that overlooked the park blocks. And mom had parked out over that way somewhere. I'm back in my cell looking out the window. And I see her down there on the street, and she's walking. And I'm looking at her. And then all of a sudden, I'm looking at this crosswalk sign. Like, I'm seeing the crosswalk sign in front of her. I'm in her body. Like, I'm experiencing my mom. It was, and then I know what she's feeling. 
And I start crying. And then I know what she's thinking. She's thinking about me and the love and that pain and the agony and the angst and the wanting and the prayers. I got to experience it all. I got to be with her in her for five or 10 or 20 seconds, whatever it was. And I got to experience how she felt and what she saw and what she thought. And it changed me because I had never experienced that, ever. I'd never thought about or even tried to experience another person's feelings or thoughts. God gave me another gift of being able to relate on that level. I was like, whoa, I was wrecked. Bad in a good way. And thankful that he gave me that gift of being able to actually experience another person like that, my mom and her love for him and for me. It's crazy. It's so good. So I go to prison. And I do everything I possibly can. Everything. Because, you know, I made this pact with God. I'll read. I'll write. I'll pray. And I did it. I did it for years. I got all these journals. And it was, I mean, the things he showed me and, and the scripture and Jesus and amazing. Really felt like it was changing my life, but I'm in prison. And in prison, you can get drugs. Every day I was offered drugs. One of my best friends, you want to smoke a joint? Every day. No, nah, not today. Every single day. Booze, it's all there. But by the grace of God, I didn't partake of that. What I did was sign up for all the programs I could. I went to school. I went to college in there and found out I loved to learn. I loved it. I took everything I could. Pell Grants were available back then for prisoners. Chemeketa Community College came in. Professors taught us. And I got straight A's. I got over a four-point. And I was like, man, I love this. I love learning. Who was I kidding? I was listening to the devil. It was crazy. It was crazy. So <clears throat> I do all this stuff. I go to school. I did a 500-hour drug awareness program in there that was like this model that they had started. It was the first time it had run. And I volunteered for it and went through all this counseling and, and went to church for a while. But the guys that went to church were weird, so I quit going to church. And we started our own Bible study with some just real dudes, you know, not whatever these other guys were. They were fakers. Uh... Did everything I could. It's getting close to time to get out. I don't know if I've changed enough. I don't know. I'm in prison. Not too hard to do it in there, really. I don't know if I'm going to make it on the outside. I have no idea at that point. I hope I will. And I've done everything I can to make it be a success when I walk out of those doors. And thank God, here I am today. Hallelujah. He's so, uh, it's almost time, so I'm going to wrap this up. I'll have to teach you separation some other day. Well, I know. I, okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. 
But there's some awesome principles here that, you know, that got to be laid down at some point. But what I want to say is fast forward. So 91, I got arrested. I got out in 94, met Nancy, 96, married, I think, in 97. And look, I got Faith and Rebecca up here praising Jesus. I got a son who's coming back. There's no way he's getting away from the prayers that God's putting out there for him. You know, we all got people that are coming home, and I think they're coming home soon. You know, and we got to just keep believing for them and keep praying for them, keep interceding for each other, keep praying for Damon to get up out of that chair and walk. I pray for this man every Sunday. I can't wait till we get to hug and stand arm to arm, and I get to hear his testimony. I'm believing it every Sunday. Every Sunday, we got we to gotta believe God. And what he says is true, because it is. It is. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And God gives us things in our life. Not things. People. Relationships. If we'll just keep our eye open, he blesses us with relationships that are treasures. Treasures. Whoa, flash of light. That's cool. That means it's time, right? But that's a treasure right there. If you've met Nancy, you know she's a treasure. She's an angel in skin. And, I mean, I wasn't looking for a wife. I was happy being single. You know, and God blessed me way, way more than I, I tried it once on my own. Didn't work out so good. I picked someone out for me and I was lost and, and it, you know, it didn't work. But God blessed me. So let me read a scripture or something. Huh? All right. I love you guys. You guys are awesome. You're beautiful. You're amazing. And you really are the most important to God. Because there's only one of you. You know, he craves, I don't know if craves is the right word, but God desires your love. You know why? Because he made you for a relationship with him so that he could experience your love and you could experience his. But he wants to experience your love. And there's only one of you. So if you don't put your affection and your love on him, you're depriving God of something that he desires. He desires your love. He desires your attention on him. Not just his on you. He wants a relationship where you're walking hand in hand, where you're fellowshipping together. And he wants to hear your heart. He wants you to say it. If you're pissed, tell him. If you're in love, tell him. Whatever it is, share it from your heart with him. Because then he'll enter into that place and give you things you didn't know for sure that you wanted, but he does. He knows the desires that he's put in you. Thank you, Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We walk after the Spirit and strive after Him. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let's all stand up.
Father God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. God, I thank you that that we can hear your voice. And I pray today, Lord, that we would hear your voice and we would obey what you say for us to do, God, so that we can continue to walk in the ways of the kingdom and be trained by the kingdom of heaven and walk away from the kingdom of darkness. God, I thank you for each family that's represented here today, brothers, sisters, daughters, sons, uncles, aunts. God, we pray for the family at large, the family that's represented by this family, God. I pray that you would get their hearts. God, get the hearts of those people that we love and bring them in to the kingdom. Bring them home so that we can fellowship and rejoice all together. God, I thank you that you provide for us even when we don't know what we need, that you always have what we, what we need, and then some. I pray that you'd remind us of how important we are to you and you to us. God, most of all, I pray that we would walk in power, that we would understand that we are not powerless in the face of the enemy, that we are powerful because Jesus is our brother and that we are your sons and daughters. And I pray, as you taught us to pray, that our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Thank you that you give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and that you don't lead us into temptation, but you deliver us from evil. And yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. If you were inspired by today's message, be sure to hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. For more information about The Loft or for gathering times and locations, you can check out our website at www dot the loft nw.org or find us on facebook and instagram thanks for tuning in and we hope you'll join us again next time